Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with Tanya Ali and Katie Winton. Good morning, you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. Your Saturday morning fix of art, politics, news and trash from a feminist perspective. My name is Katie Winton and Tanya Ali will be joining me a little later on in the show today. Uh, Agenda on FBI Radio is broadcast on Gadigal land and I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people as the original custodians of the land that we broadcast on and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also acknowledge uh, the significance of Redfern as a place of strength, resistance, knowledge sharing and storytelling for many communities and I would like to honour that history. So it was Father's Day last Sunday and we've since been thinking a lot about the relationship that we all have with Father's Day. And I I don't know, I feel like most people I've spoken to about it have a pretty fraught relationship with Father's Day, which doesn't necessarily mean that everyone does. Uh, if you have a healthy relationship with your dad or parent or someone that you look up to in a parental role, then that's great and I'm super happy for you. But it can also be tough for a lot of people. And we spoke about this on Agenda on Valentine's Day as well. Um, and the problem with Hallmark Days being splashed across social media and promoted everywhere is that they can be quite isolating or triggering days for some people. So we'll be chatting a little bit more about Father's Day and all kinds of family models or what family means to you a little bit later on on Thoughts That Count, featuring uh, an in-depth analysis of some problematic Kanye West lyrics about being a father and what that means to him. Um, But in the meantime, if you want to text us or dedicate a song to someone that you look up to or learn from in a parental kind of way, uh, they don't even, they don't have to be related to you. Uh, They can maybe be someone you don't even know. Uh, Text us on 0409 945 945. There's also some really cool guests coming in on the show today. We're chatting to filmmaker, producer and actor Von Patiag, who works across stage, screen and performance to focus on issues exploring queer and ethnic intersection in Australia. So Von has co-written a queer sitcom called Obviously that opens as part of Sydney Fringe Festival next Thursday night. He's also recently created a short documentary called Shading, which examines current practices of whitewashing ethnic skin tones of performers in film and theatre industries. Um, I feel like Von's name just constantly pops up everywhere and he's working on so many projects at the moment so I'm really excited to chat to him and we'll also be talking a little later in the show to Serena Masaka and Jaya Keeney about The Watermelon Woman uh, which is a film that stars Cheryl Dunier uh, as a movie obsessed young queer woman working in a queer um, in a Philadelphia video store. She's drawn to films from the 1930s which feature anonymous black women and dedicates um, or decides to make a documentary about actress Faye Richards, uh, who's known as the Watermelon Woman. So Serena from Runway Australian Experimental Art has been working with Jaya to um, feature a written response of Jaya's to the film and Runway are hosting a screening happening at Golden Age and Bar next week. So definitely stick around for that. It sounds like a really great film and Jaya's response is super interesting. Um, in the meantime, this is Banoffi's brand new track that came out a few days ago. I've been listening to it a lot. It's uh, it's less about the emotionality of a breakup than it is about the physicality. So Banoffi says that even though when we force ourselves to forget, we have things written into our bodies that we can't unwrite, which I think is a really good way of talking about the very physical loss of someone's presence in your life, even when you've, you know, like rationally talked yourself out of it. Uh, so this is Banoffi right now with Muscle Memory. Uh, you're listening to Agenda on FBO Radio. Stick around for more thoughts on Father's Day right after this. River so deep when we were here last time Twisted and sheets, I love this pastimes killing me So I might just turn it off 
listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. That was the new track from Banoffi called Muscle Memory. Uh, And it is time right now for Thoughts That Count. Thoughts That Count. Agenda on FBI Radio. So last Sunday it was Father's Day and it got us thinking about the relationship that different people have with Father's Day. Yeah, there's an article written by Dara Mathis for Bitch Media that came out in June to coincide with Father's Day in the US. Uh, It's called Dear Kanye West, North and Chicago are not your karma. 
Um, and after writing the article, uh, Mathis tweeted, daughters are not spiritual retribution for your mis- misogyny, uh, which provoked a pretty big Twitter storm from some very cranky people <laughs> who felt otherwise. Yeah, it's, I'm really into uh, her follow-up tweet as well. It says, nor are they tiny spiritual guides sent to newly show you the humanity of girls and women. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I feel that so hard. Um, to quote the article, West's belief in the karmic arrival of daughters to pimps and players existed long before his own daughters did. For many, however, this introspection is only prompted by the wonder of childbirth and the new responsibility of protecting a daughter. Perhaps it is the manifest innocence of an infant that prompts fathers to at least consider the world of misogyny that awaits girls and women, a world that they previously contributed to. But it is more than frustrating to realise how many refuse to see the humanity in girls and women until they create one themselves and feel a sense of ownership. Okay, I feel so strongly about this. I think it's a total double standard that I actually think applies to a lot of relationships, like not just father and son, I mean, father and daughter relationships. Mm. It's like, you know, the virgin whore dichotomy Mm. or the would you want that to happen to your sister argument. Like, how about you just don't wish anything negative upon any person of any gender, not just women that you love, you know? Literally, yeah. So many strong feels, Katie. I (laughs) guess the ownership thing and subsequent care is a product of the hetero (laughs) patriarchy, though. Like, maybe the problem is just that we don't celebrate all kinds of families enough outside of the hallmark days to celebrate. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Before I get too mad on air, let's let's take it back to what we asked a little earlier in the show. If you want to text in or dedicate a song to someone that you look up to or learn from in a parental kind of way, uh, related or otherwise, or even someone you don't know, text us on 0409 945 945. I mean, we've definitely talked about this in other other episodes of oh, Agenda. All the time. But <laughs> guidance and teaching and learning from someone in your life can come in so many different ways. Absolutely. Um, I think artist and professional giggler, um, Kieran, <laughs> Kieran Bryant, suggested Father and Son by Cat Stevens, which is so cute. He said that I don't relate music that much with my dad because he was more of a talkback radio kind of guy, but Cat Stevens definitely always reminds Ooh. me of him. Um, and also, just side note on that, Kieran has the same initials as his dad, and when he wears this boiler suit that belonged to his dad, it has the initials on the pocket, and it's Aww. like one of the sweetest things I've ever seen. <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> I love that. Um, I think at this point I have to give a shout out to my dad who does diligently listen to every single episode of Agenda Live and it was his birthday yesterday. So Aww. happy birthday, Dad. That's very cute. <laughs> I, think, I think there are multiple people in my life at the moment that I really look to for guidance and I've always been much more of a learn from your friends kind of person. I feel like... I feel like I've done friendship love song dedications on agenda maybe every second episode Uh, so I'm not going to list them all or go into it for the hundredth time but I do want to play this song by the Carters it's called Friends it's my second favourite song on the album After Boss Uh, there is a bit of a language warning on this one Uh, stick around for our interview with Von Patiag right after this My friends, real friends, better than your friends That's how we keep popping out that binge, yeah No foes, real friends, we ain't even gotta pretend, yeah Get bands, get bands, spinning all on my friends, yeah Pull me up, pull me up, pull me up Never let me down Pull me up, pull me up, pull me up Never let me drown Come pull me up, pull me up, pull me up Never 
real friends better than your friends, yeah That's how we keep popping out that binge, yeah For friends, real friends better than your friends, yeah SMS them, they know all my business I don't know what I would do without all of my crew, yeah I ain't making no room, yeah I ain't making no new friends, I don't make no moves, yeah Without telling my crew, yeah That's just how we do, yeah That's just how we do, oh Damn it, I love my life, I love it Stop on cuffs, no way uh-huh. Party when we go inside, Never let them up my side Never right by my side Ooh. Then my ride or die, then my ride or die All my friends are goals, your friends are foes We fly, why cry, our souls expose, yeah we smoke, we laugh, your stress, my stress Closer than kin, I'm blessed, you blessed uh, Ten toes, ten toes, we was out in that road uh, Looking for love in wrong places, we were posed to a stove, yeah Share you, share clothes, that's how deep the shit goes, yeah Every week y'all got bros, yeah all of y'all fit close, yeah Y'all switching sides like NBA teams Just after halftime I'm pulling up on my dog Make sure he okay I don't even have time They caught me a Porsche But it's got seats Just for they had meals They're better than rappers And they don't even have bills That real Bro, Embry a BM As soon as he came home We hopped on the plane Head straight to the bay That's how we turn the game on It's game on Time mama died I was there My nephew died He was there He in my house More than I be there More than be there Tie tie there E there Breezy there, one there, hot hair, shocker there, low there, they all here, oh yeah. That's there, Kwana here, shit feel like Nirvana here. Crib like the Soho house, I might stay in and grow out my hair. Tight circles, no squares, I'm geometrically opposed to you. Y'all like the triangles, y'all like the troll, do you? Y'all talk around hoes, do you? Y'all don't follow codes, do you? You know everything you say from niggas close to you, you emotional. When I say free the dogs, I free them. That's how me got his freedom. Y'all put niggas on a t-shirt, it hurts, you ain't never meet him. You got niggas in the fast, you ain't even trying to feed him. I'm trying to free the world, that's how deep I'm in. I ain't going to nobody nothing, and me and my wife beefing. I don't care if the house on fire, dying nigga, I ain't leaving. Tata take care of my kids, after he done grieving. Y'all don't understand that, we ain't meant to pull be me friends. Up, pull me up, pull me up, pull me up, never let me down. Pull me 
never let me down Then pull me up, pull me up, pull me up Then pull me up, pull me up, pull me up Then pull me up, pull me up, pull me up Then pull me up, pull me up, pull me up Agenda on FBI Radio.
You are listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. Uh, and we're joined now by filmmaker, producer and actor Von Patiag, who works across stage, screen and performance to focus on issues exploring queer and ethnic intersection in Australia. Von has co-written a queer sitcom uh, called Obviously that opens as part of Sydney Fringe Festival next Thursday night. And he's also recently created a short documentary called Shading, examining current practices of whitewashing ethnic skin tones of performers in the film and theatre industries. Vaughn, thank you so much for joining Hi, us this morning. Good morning. Hello. Wow, that was a long bio. So. <laughs> long but important. Yes. Very. yes. Um, let's start with, obviously, it's a sitcom that you co-wrote yes. that's opening next week for Sydney Fring- Fringe, uh, Sydney Fringe Festival. Can you give us a brief rundown of the synopsis of, obviously? Uh, yes. So, basically, it's friends with brown people, is how I say it. It's like four 20-something BFFs living in Western Sydney who kind of face life and love and kind of relationship issues but the I guess the stinger is that they're all diverse like they're all um they're all ethnic they're all like different um different on the spectrum of like LGBTQA plus representation um and yeah so it's like a diverse queer sitcom uh, yeah. amazing it's what the world needs right now <laughs> yeah I, feel. I mean I keep plugging it as like a very mediocre diversity story <laughs> if that makes sense because like because it's like oftentimes people are like oh no tell your authentic brown person story mm. and like you know have a have a soft um nuance culturally you know mm-hmm. like really tough third act kind of thing and i'm like oh i'm so tired of seeing those sub stories yeah and me and my friends just kind of wanted to you know show that we could exist in like the most lowbrow form too in terms of sitcom so it's kind of like reclaiming that space for us as well well i guess it kind of speaks to the framing of something that is to do with you know in quotation marks diversity you know like it's kind of like you can create a story that that doesn't have to be the main narrative you can create a story where that is your friendship narrative first and that is just kind of secondary to your existence yeah totally so I feel like you've you've touched on it a little bit but what initially prompted you to write obviously um yeah I mean it was largely that just trying to exist in spaces that aren't you know like it's not an STC show it's not like a like a really it's not you know, it's not uh, like a film festival kind of like highbrow kind of art. I, I can't kind of really wanted to make like a low stakes um, project because I feel like a lot of times in, you know, in my recent arts practice, there had been a lot of focus on who I was, like Filipino, queer, like, and it's like, no, really tell that story. And I was like, oh man, I want to tell like more stories for other people as well. Um, and when I co-wrote this with my writing partner, Kate Allison, she really liked to, she really wanted to do this sitcom idea. And we were like, wow, but there's no diversity in sitcoms. And we, we were both such avid fans of Friends. And we were like, wow, that the representation in for any diversity in Friends is lacking. It, almost zero. And you could see how they kind of hid the diversity. Like, I don't know, for me, Gunther was always kind of queer. Like, you know, sure. he like, dyed his hair blonde yeah. a few times. But then he had really forced storylines, like being in love with Rachel. But I mean, that was his whole identity. Yeah. You know, and it was like... <laughs> come on like um and I always felt like growing up watching friends you kind of perform I call it cultural gymnastics it's like where you kind of have to flip things to suit you do you know what I mean so it's like oh Phoebe's kind of like loose and free and like free loving I I don't know she could be bisexual but it's like Mm. but she's not she ends up marrying a man which is completely fine but it's like uh, you know like um and for Kate especially who identifies as bisexual she really she kind of you know, she was really affected by the fact that, like, they never really went there. So, yeah. 
I'm just going to read a description of obviously that I found online yes. that just relates to what you're talking about yeah, in terms yeah, of friends. Um, come binge watch your new favourite show with three episodes performed back to back as one full length play. A love letter to the TV sitcom formats we grew up watching but didn't see ourselves in. There's no straight white guys to be found, only queer and ethnic <laughs> and diverse bodies and you're our live studio audience. And this is <laughs> something <laughs> such a good description and something that we talk about so often on agenda like pop culture or mainstream TV and especially friends as you were just talking about that we really enjoy but it's super problematic and can be really hard to reconcile those two things um did you just get like super fed up with the casual racism and homophobia in friends because essentially like yeah notice that one of the promo images as well is like a very clear uh, reference to (laughs) to friends friends yeah the the milkshake one yeah Yeah. Yeah. all the all those shows that that we grew up watching like um in terms of the nostalgic 90s era of sitcom, were all, you know, Seinfeld, Frasier, Will and Grace. Um, Sex and the City. Sex and the City. <laughs> they, all ha- they all featured diversity as punchlines, you know? Like, um, yeah. like I just remember <laughs> Ross's ex-wife who turned out to be a lesbian. And that was, yeah. like, the biggest punchline. It was like, oh, we were having a threesome and then I made a sandwich because the two women were going at it. And I was like, really? Is that... <laughs> That's the level of representation we get. Um yeah. So yeah, it was kind of, I guess, a frustration with being invisible in this space. And I think personally, there's a reason why sitcoms kind of haven't thrived. And for instance, like Big Bang Theory has did get a lot of flack for how they were treating Raj. And they kind of had to address that and, you know, give him a girlfriend and more of a storyline. So, but even that wasn't the best, I, I think. So yeah, I, I felt like we really wanted to just write a show with, um, you know, with, with us in the middle. Um, it's kind of a show for anyone who isn't deemed normal enough for mainstream. With that, with the sitcoms not really thriving, that's true. Um, mm. Do you think it's also a problem with, like, easy comedy? You know, like, comedy kind of, like, making a, the punchline of a lot of jokes yes. is, a, is kind of a, yeah. an attack on diversity almost? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, um, it, it's kind of just the general... I think it was a general wave of kind of that era. It's like... Um, I think these things were always buzz things that were coming around, but it was easy to just make jokes out of them. And I feel like in this golden age of diversity, which I love to say <laughs> now, you know, like we really, we really caught up. Um, I, I think we're starting to see how problematic those those types of representation are. So I felt like I really wanted to write a sitcom. It's obviously really hard to obviously um, <laughs> it's obviously really hard to get a sitcom up. So we were like, well, let's do it as a, as a you know a live play and um, perform it like we're actually on a set and we'll have, you know, it's complete with like laugh tracks and catchphrases and a door that opens much like Kramer, like bursting in kind of thing. So there's a lot of throwbacks to the, um, to that 90s era. Yeah. So awesome. Um, I'm also really interested in Shading, which is a project initiated for Diverse Screens Parramatta, where you were one of three artists chosen to produce a short film addressing themes around inclusion and diversity in the arts. Uh, Where did you start with Shading? Um, I literally started from my own experience. I feel um, Shading is literally, uh, Shading is about, it's showing three people's um, person of colours experience working in stage and screen and kind of giving them a chance to actually vocalize and be honest for once and um and the impetus for for the whole project was just my own experience because i felt like you know when when i was starring in short films and i would see the color grade or how or the final film i'd be like well that's not me though like what you did with my skin that doesn't really suit what i think and you know working with makeup artists who would lighten me up or, or darken me and I'd be like oh that's also 
kind of weird. And I, I felt like it was a it was like an unseen issue in terms of working with diverse um, performers. Uh, a lot of the knowledge of the practitioners around those technical practitioners around those spaces kind of weren't well versed in how to work with other ethnicities. So um, yeah, it kind of was a project to empower to really empower um, three performers to actually just you know tell the truth of how they feel. Um, like I. I stand by this now. I like to present questions and not give answers with my work because I feel like it's the audience's chance to kind of think and, yeah. Uh, Vaughn, when I met you, you were doing the queer development program with Performance Space and we had an end of residency showing where you performed a karaoke song <laughs> to um, all the single ladies. Oh, and you got yes. the whole audience singing karaoke, but you changed the lyrics so that the singing kind of went from jovial to really tense very quickly yes, yes. Um, because of the subject matter. Can you talk a little bit about that performance and whether you're uh, taking it elsewhere yeah. <laughs> post uh, queer development program? <laughs> so karaoke... Um, Oki spelt like O-K-I-E, like hokey. Um, that was a performance that I did. Um, and it kind of looked at, I guess, the recolonization tropes of of Asia. Like I, I really wanted to do a project that kind of surrounded um, karaoke because for me, karaoke is like a reclaiming of the colonization, if that makes sense. Like it's literally, um, you know, it started in Asia. Um, people took massive pop songs and literally recreated them in midis like really lo-fi versions and then would sing over them and i felt like it was such a strong signifier of how i don't know asian populations kind of just like survived colonization you know like like reclaim that space for them um and then i was really interested in how sometimes in karaoke you're very you're directed to you know it's like male part and the male sings and the female part sings and i was like all right well this is like a fun group activity like let's see what happens when you know it's all like single ladies if you're single sing and then it's like if you're a donald trump supporter sing <laughs> and, it's like, and it's like if you if you're australian sing yeah and it's like a lot of question marks like oh my god am i australian i don't know um and i think it was a really um interesting project because it really shows how people sometimes are complicit in those things like especially in terms of diversity mm. um you know it's like let's entertain but maybe we should start second thinking second guessing a lot of these uh, all these like stereotypes that we're kind of throwing out there and it was so effective as well like the <laughs> mood really shifted and people got so confused and they would kind of sing and then stop mid yeah. mid sentence which was yes it totally uh i don't know kind of really articulated what you were trying to say quite yeah. well I it caught people out because i remember like some of them were really like I think the Donald Trump one came after nice person. It's yeah. like, if you're a nice person, sing. And everyone's, everyone's singing. Yeah. And it's like, Donald Trump supporter. And then everyone's singing like halfway through. Yeah. And they're like, oh, oh, And then oh, realizing. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I do kind of have, um, I mean, they, they haven't been confirmed yet, but I kind of have two offers to kind of continue that project elsewhere. So um, yeah, maybe look out in October because I think that's coming to a... Coming yeah. to somewhere near you. There's a second life <laughs> for that project. Yeah. That's so exciting because <laughs> I have massive FOMO just hearing you guys talk about it. So I am very excited to catch that. Vaughn, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us thank on Agenda. Um, we can't wait to see, obviously, next Yay, week. Obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just a rehearsing with catchphrases. You just get... Yeah. We will pop a link uh, up on our Agenda show page to where you can get tickets. So head to FBI Radio. 
com and click on the programs tab and then um, click through to agenda. Uh, stick around because right after this we'll be chatting to Serena Masaka and Jaya Keeney about The Watermelon Woman, which is a 1996 queer cinema classic exploring race and feminism in cinema. Uh, and in keeping with our Father's Day theme for the show this week, and because we've been talking about all kinds of family structures, which I feel like plays into um, the kind of sitcom yeah. uh, Friends family structure, yeah. um, I'm going to play you this new track from my all-time favourite parental inspiration, Baby Mother. Uh, she always raps about being a mum and about the societal stigma that comes with that and the role that everyone expects her to play as a mother and how she's constantly kind of pushing back. And often her kids are sampled in her tracks and she's still swearing and singing about sex. And it's really, <laughs> I don't know, it's just, awesome. I, I think wow. it's, she's... Yeah, I love her. Um, so this is Baby Mother with Heaven's Little Bastard. Obvious uh, language warning on this one. You're listening <laughs> to Agenda on FBI Radio. Oh, there's just a bit <laughs> of a, a technical difficulty. Technical difficulty. Uh, while we're doing that... Uh, <laughs> oh, no, wait, we got it. Oh, <laughs> <sick>. <laughs> yeah. Baby mother, I'm in labor, giving birth today. Hit the truck tomorrow, pussy diamond collar, Lisa Ray. Big bread, he don't give head, that's what Shotty say. Face red, I was on my period, he ate the day. Sour dick, he gotta go and gay, I'm fucking either way. Snatching bitches off of Twitter, I don't gotta pay. I don't gotta lay up with these niggas, I got shit to shake. I don't gotta kiki with these bitches, too much bread to make. Soda just a bait, whip it, flip it, ship that shit upstate. Master of the bait, make your baby daddy masturbate. I've been doing great, I've been staying in my fucking lane. You should do the same. I ain't out here looking like that heaven for a bastard. I go to church, but don't lay if I fuck a pastor. I eat the pussy in the motherfucking puke. Give a fuck about what you do. Fuck that book and fuck you. Only motherfucking guy can Is that heaven for a bastard? I go to church, but don't lay if I fuck a pastor. I eat the pussy in the motherfucking puke. Give a fuck about what you do. Fuck that book and fuck you. Only motherfucking guy can judge me. Look, beat all black, all eyes on me. Big lips, big dick, make it rain on me. Ain't slept three weeks, cold. Cocaine on me New shoes Stainless steamer Ain't a stain on me Shoulda never fucked your nigga Fuck it Shame on me He ain't coming back And you can put the blame on me I don't really want him either I just bought a bag of reefer I just bought a flight to Europe Never beef about a cheetah My dick bigger nigga I could never need you I need M's in the bank So I'ma see you when I see you Smoking dope in Costa Rica With the coldest mama Cita. I been getting rich I been feeling like that bitch When it miss Fuck that shit you claim Ho I love the game I like hustling It make me feeling stained Bitches looking strange I'ma make a change I'ma show these niggas Rats can rain Don't forget my name Baby mother Is I that heaven for a bastard? I go to church But don't lay if I fuck the pastor I eat the pussy In the motherfucking pew Give a fuck about what you do Fuck that book and fuck you Only motherfucking guy can Is that heaven for a bastard? I go to church But don't lay if I fuck the pastor I eat the pussy In the motherfucking pew Give a fuck about what you do Fuck that book and fuck you Only motherfucking guy can judge me Little bitch Music on today's show has been curated by Music New South Wales to showcase women in electronic music.
You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio and we're joined now by Serena Masuko and Jaya Keeney to talk about a screening of queer cult classic The Watermelon Woman presented by Runway Australian Experimental Art. Uh, welcome, both of you. Um, Serena, could you start by telling us a little bit about the latest Runway Issue Cinema? Yeah, so that um, myself and guest editor Alifa Bandali were having some conversations about race and about being a woman of colour making films and some of the things, um, some of the issues around that. And we wanted to do something about that, but we didn't want to do it in a really direct way. So we decided that what we would do is put together a program um, of films that people might not necessarily know, um, most of which were made by, directed by women of colour, and that we would invite artists to make a response um, to one of those films. So one of the films was The Watermelon Woman and Jaya um, responded to it. Can you tell us a little bit about The Watermelon Woman and why you chose to feature it in Runway, in Um, this issue? Yeah, so The Watermelon Woman is a film by uh, queer filmmaker uh, Cheryl Dunyer. I always get her name wrong. <laughs> um, and in the film, she it's it's kind of like one of those 90s slacker type, really free, loose, no budget um, indies. And in the film, she's an emerging filmmaker and she's making a film about this character that she sees 
in a 1930s film called, uh, known just as The Watermelon Woman, a black actress. And so through the film, she's kind of pursuing this story. Uh, she also like works in a video store and there are some scenes where she's just hanging out at the video store with her friend, um, Tamara. And she meets um, a white girl who comes into the store, uh, played by Guinevere Taylor, uh, Turner, who some of you would know from The L Word. And she also wrote the screenplay for American Psycho. Really great wow. screenplay. I didn't know so, that. So, yeah, so, you know, she's cool. And they get together in this kind of uh, relationship that is as much about this kind of interracial mix as anything else. And I think, you know, the film explores, like, all of those questions in a really um, modern and contemporary way. It's, you know, watching it today, it just it feels, like, so still so daring and fresh. Yeah, for sure. I I think I, like, maybe um, when I was studying gender studies, uh, we talked about The Watermelon Woman, and I'm not sure if I remember this correctly, but I feel like it's maybe one of the first um, films about a queer woman of colour directed by a queer woman of colour, which yeah, is pretty it, huge. It yeah. is, and it, it, when it premiered um, at the Berlin Film Festival, it won... They have an award for queer cinema, and I can't remember the name of the award now, but it, it won that award. Yeah, huge. Yeah, um, so really huge. Such an important film. Jaya, you've written a response to the film uh, yeah. for the Runway Cinema issue called Archived Selves, The Queer Fabulation of the Watermelon Woman, beginning with a poem and then going into a more in-depth analysis of the film. Um, could you tell us why you chose to respond in both of those ways, like poetically and then also analytically? Sure, yeah. I think I did that in order to kind of capture the something about the charge, the intimate charge I felt with the film um, that wasn't fully captured, I guess, in a more analytical um, response. And also to try to get at some of the ways that um, the film prompted a dialogue between different identities as women of colour, um, myself watching it as a mixed-race queer woman in Australia now, watching this kind of very particular black lesbian um, articulation of sexuality, um, just felt like there was something else to be said um, other than just writing those positions down, um, but more kind of the erotics between them. Actually, would you mind reading the poem? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, all right. I'm sized up on the street again. A man stands at the bus stop, close enough to feel the tension prickle in my pores, every arm hair standing to attention. You're beautiful, baby. Where are you from? Rancid, leering, he spits those eyes. The first time I saw queer women of colour fucking was in Saving Face, watching in my family lounge room. I was 11, maybe. When Will and Vivian kissed, a still hush took hold of my body. Furtively, curious, I tried to see whether my parents were already in on the secret. No, there's no way you're half Indian. I never would have guessed. So white passing, you just look Australian, beautiful. If only I could live forever in that scene in Bend It Like Beckham, before the hackneyed straight closure snuffs out all erotic charge. Jess dashing furiously from her sister's wedding to her football game, the culmination of the film's promise that she might have it all. Magenta Sari unwound furiously in the car. She explodes onto the field, towards Jules, Jules, wry androgynous best friend. The two clasped hands, grinning. The suspended queer promise, the fury, the flood. Wait, I've got it. You look like that Bollywood star. I swear you're right, of course. Same skin, same exact eyes. 
Now Indian makes sense. I always liked the bad girls best, those ancestors who stepped sideways, spilled out. The auntie in Bangalore who in the 1930s rode on the back of her boyfriend's motorcycle, hitching up her sari and smoking and drinking at the club. The great-grandmother who worked on the dairy farm, her strong body with the land. I ask again and again for their stories. So how did your family go with the queerness? Another white queer asks me in a hush. I wonder if this is just warm bonding or if they imagine something else. Arranged marriages, diasporic repression, an enticing clash of cultures. Elsewhere, I daydream about the queer ancestors my body knows I had. When Archie Punjabi dances with the broom in her electric, irreverent way as Mina in East is East, I tear up every time. I watch it on hard days, eyes streaming while I smile in her magnetic grip. I've watched it so many times, YouTube conjures it immediately. I bookmark it under salves for racism. Where are you from? But in particular, but before. No, your family. Where are you from? Your worst white hat nightmares, I want to say, but I'm too drained for the backlash. I type Australian mixed race into Google probably 50 times that year. I'm writing a thesis about mixed race films and the silence runs deeper than I thought. I find one little known film from 2004, Peaches. It is disjointed, bland, Australian in all the wrong ways. Against my better judgment, protagonist Steph calls out to me. I fall in love. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was so amazing. Thank you, Thank so, you much so much for that. Um, yeah, I have so many feelings, <laughs> but uh, I'm really interested in the themes of stereotype, erotics, and archive that you dissected um, for the second part of your written response as well. And I feel like you kind of touched on them in the poem too. Yeah. Um, how did those themes or subheadings kind of emerge for you when thinking about your written response to the film? I mean, they just kind of jumped out at me. I think there's so much in the film, so rich um, in terms of exploring what it means to try to craft a sexuality as a queer woman of colour when mainstream discussion is so overburdened with whiteness as the centre that we always have to navigate. Whenever we talk about desire or identity, we have to refer back to the white father. Um, So I think that dividing the response into those three themes was a way to just get at some of the kind of uh, dominant pressures that um, I feel as a queer woman of colour trying to craft a sexuality, um, but also some of the things that um, Cheryl Dunye plays with. Um, In your piece, you quote Stuart Hall in relation to the big reveal of the film in that Faye Richards, um, the actress that Cheryl Dunye develops an obsession with, is actually a fabrication. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) That was planning on going to see the film. I actually thought I did think so long about that, but I was like, you know what? It's in your it's in your written piece, so if I had to have the spoiler, I can just publicize the spoiler to everyone else. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't ruin what I'm sure I still want to see it. So um, but I'm just gonna read the quote. So it says identities are about questions of using the resources of history, language and culture in the process of becoming rather than being, not who we are or where we come from or came from so much as what we might become, how we have been represented and how that bears on how we might represent ourselves. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how that quote impacted on the way you wrote about the film? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, what I love so much about the film and that 
quote um, by Stuart Hall and Stuart Hall's work um, in general, I guess, is um, providing other ways to think about identity, not just as a static category that we tick and then are kind of done with. And I feel like marginalised peoples feel that pressure so much to kind of tick um, a few boxes of our intersections and then just inhabit them in this really static, narrow way. Um, so I guess the film really centres play and kind of open-endedness and doesn't um, require that you be one thing for um, all time, mm-hmm. um, but sort of more that identity is always this uh, working out um, and that you don't have to be the token, mm-hmm. that you can not know and you can change. And, yeah. and the film, I think, also really fits into... Um, you know, a genre of 90s low-budget kind of slacker film that was Mm. happening at the time, and it's a really good example of it, and it's perhaps more marginalised because of its themes of race and queerness, but it's equally as, you know, um, kind of as vibrant and clever and intelligent as, you know, some of the examples we know more, like, you know, Clerks or Slacker or white men examples (laughs) and you know and it really shows that it you can inhabit those worlds as well yeah um serena what are some of the other pieces in the cinema issue of runway um oh okay there are (laughs) lots of (laughs) bring it on you (laughs) um lots of exciting work i think uh a couple of things um, to note. So when we screen the watermelon, the watermelon woman at Golden Age, we'll also be screening Paul Materike's, um response to Spike Lee's "Do the Right Thing" um, called "Bugging Out." So you should all come and see that. Uh, there's also a beautiful um, response. So there were, so there are a couple of um, films in there that that were made by men, and that there's one film made by a white man, Jules de Sin, um, which. Kuba Dorobiowski responded to um, and it's kind of about this idea of the ally that's another really interesting one to check out because it explores that idea in a really um, different and kind of tangential way really beautiful film Uh, there's um, some other kind of very subtle works in there some drawings by Matt Chun which is responding to Debbie Tucker Green's beautiful film The Second Coming uh, a great film to check out if you haven't seen it um, and what else is on there? The Black Panther? Yeah, so, oh, yes. For a limited time only, you can watch Black Panther Woman, Rachel's, Rachel Perkins's documentary through um, the Runway website. So Amazing. you should definitely get on that. Awesome, awesome. It's such a packed lineup. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, incredible yeah, stuff. And, and people made, because the artists had to respond to something that often they had they were seeing for the first time and that wouldn't have they wouldn't necessarily have chose to respond to and we didn't really give them any idea of what the overarching themes of the issue were so they didn't know um, so these these works that they would never have otherwise made and that in some cases are kind of different from their usual work came out of it and all of them speak to the ideas that we were thinking about in really interesting and strong ways and I think you know, for us, like, it's really, I think, like, it's really great to talk about these issues, but also to kind of do, to create things in response to them as well and to expose Mm. the work that's already been created um, felt really important to me. 
So right. I think I think we kind of achieved it. <laughs> it's such an exuberant issue for that reason, I think, because you, I mean, the lineup of films is so incredible, but also you then elicited creative work that reshapes that history yeah. of filmmaking mm, yeah. too. And also ties, I guess, artists now, because, you know, for in a film like The, Waterwell, the, the Watermelon Woman, um, it's from a while ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, people aren't necessarily that familiar with it, but then coming into contact with things like, you know, we were just talking outside about the sex scene in that film yeah. and how daring and erotic um, it is. And I think it's like a great thing for, you know, young women to see today and, and see like, oh, people, there's people before me, I guess, that, you know, and they've done these things and, and I could do them as well. Right. And also this kind of revival of a queer history where um, you can look at the... There are some losses to a more sanitised or accepting film culture today. The sex scene is a great example because it really... um, It's racy and it brings into kind of really sharp um, relief how race structures our intimate and sexual encounters in a way I think that we wouldn't be able to see in contemporary film. Well, we'd shy away from it a little. Like, it doesn't shy away from the tension and... The, the misunderstandings that happen, that the right. racial misunderstandings that happen, that, you know, that obviously happen in relationships still, but it's really clear about them. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't try to f- kind of um, act out this multicultural or post-racial promise where yeah. we can all just be in multiracial relationships and head off into the colourblind future. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are so excited to see The Watermelon Woman uh, next Wednesday night at Golden Age. We'll pop a link up online to where you can get tickets. And we have a free double pass to give away to the screening. So um, just text through now with your name uh, on 0409-945-945 if you'd like the tickets first in best dress. <laughs> uh, Serena and Jaya, thank you both so much for joining us on Agenda this morning. Thanks and for it's having us. Golden Age's fifth birthday it's their fifth birthday so five years of beautiful cinema what an important space so good um that is all we've got time for on agenda today and we're going to leave you with this track by beyonce to finish off our father's day edition well father's day for thoughts that count um this is daddy lessons uh stick around for weekend lunch with ted dwyer right after this with this.
classic vinyl Tough girl is what I had to be He said take care of your mother Watch out for your sister Oh, that's when he gave to me With his gun and his head held high He told me not to cry Oh, my daddy said shoot Oh, my daddy said shoot With his Daddy said... 